Hey guys, Matt and Chris here. This episode this week is a lot more heady than our normal videos. One of the things Chris was just sharing with me about was that during this episode, we, we're diving into the head because so much we talk about the heart. Um, but during this episode, like our guest brought up some topics that Chris and I found ourselves lost in. It was like a grad school class. So this is grad level ministry leaders anonymous. It's good because it stretched us both. It got us thinking on a new level. And uh, we just wanted to give you guys a heads up to let you know you are at the right podcast. Uh, but to buckle up, this is going to be an intellectual ride. That's right. And I know that there are a couple of people that are listening that are going to absolutely love this podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we are ready to bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. Awesome, you guys. Today we are joined by Robert Mixa. He is the Educational Fellow at the Word on Fire Institute. He studied at St. Louis University as well as the John Paul Institute at the Catholic University of America. And uh, he's here to join us and uh, and share with us. Go ahead. I have one question. We did not talk about this before the show. Robert, have you ever gone by Bob or Bobby? Um, all three. Uh, people, all three? Officers are still trying to figure out what they should call me. <laughs> <laughs> so at what, what age did Bobby stop? Uh, it still hasn't stopped. I mean, Bishop Barron still calls me Bobby. Uh, nice. Father Steve Bruno, the CEO, calls me Robert. Um, and then, you know, everybody picks up Bob somehow. It's just easier. So, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. yeah my dad, uh, my dad's name is William, um, but he goes by Bill and has gone by Bill forever. There is a William Rice, though, that is like wanted. <laughs> and, like, and my dad's had to tell the police multiple times, that's not me. <laughs> like, this is not me. <laughs> it's always bad when your name is the same as some somebody like that. Yeah. Yep. But yep. the actual William Rice is also saying, no, no, no. Yeah. Go check on this guy. Yeah. That William goes by Bill. That's your guy. So, um, All right. Sorry for that tangent. I just had to ask. No, no. Yeah. I saw there was a Czech socialist named Robert Mixa once. I, I have to admit, I did look up like what other, you know, whoever had this name besides my dad, it better be uh, somebody good. But I guess, uh, yeah, Czech socialist. Yeah. So ju just to get us back on topic, because that's what I do, Matt, um, is... Uh, is the renaissance of your faith really solidifying it on on the level that it's at now? And certainly it had an intellectual component, but atheism had to had a part to do with it. And not so much just atheism, but the way that people encountered or engaged uh, some of the atheists that, that were vocal at St. Louis University when you were a student there. So uh, I just want, obviously, feel free to introduce yourself more. Um, that was a little intimate, Bob, Bobby, or whatever, yeah, but... Yeah. Uh, but at whatever level, but then dive into kind of that that story or that journey that you had there um, with atheism and, and things of that nature. Well, you know, I let's go like back all the way back. But um, I went to um, high school in a Catholic school on the south side of Chicago, and even my freshman year, there were uh, students who were calling themselves atheists, and it was something like it, it, they knew that I believed in God, and you know, I was trying to be a devout Catholic. And so that was, it didn't surprise me that they thought that would be uncool, but it was just like even the idea that God exists was like somehow atheism was just the, the cool thing to do. I encountered, but uh, 
know, I took a church history class uh, my junior year at the high school. And this guy was like a, you know, he was, he was like a polymath, a really interesting guy. And he introduced the, uh, the five ways of uh, Thomas Aquinas. Um, so, and, um, you know, he went through them and I was totally blown away by them, but he quickly dismissed them uh, saying that, you know, a lot of modern philosophers, you know, like David Hume or Immanuel Kant, um, you know, basically swept those um, away. And so I went into college like a little bit uncertain whether or not we could even know that God exists. Um, and I went to St. Louis University. Um, I studied philosophy there. And the funny thing is that, that that school was kind of like historically known for having a pretty Catholic philosophy department. I don't know if you guys know uh, Dr. Eleanor Stump, uh, but uh, she she's there and she's known for you know, doing a lot in um, the philosophy of religion. She's an expert on Aquinas. She has a book just called Aquinas, um, another book uh, dealing with the problem of evil, wandering in darkness. But I never had Dr. Stump as a, as a teacher because she only taught the grad students. But the one philosophy of religion class I did take, it was called the philosophy of God. It was taught by uh, the department chair, um, a priest. And the funny thing in that class was he did the same thing that my uh, high school teacher did, was he presented the uh, arguments um, and went through a lot of them um, and uh, basically said that the problem of evil, basically, you just, you can't address that. And uh, there was a, I remember there was a girl in the class who, uh, I think she was an atheist, that he kind of really favored and I think because of her, like the existential angst that she brought in, I think he was feeling some of that too. And so when I would try to kind of defend the arguments, uh, he would get a little bit riled up and, and basically kind of dismiss me uh, as if I never sufficiently dealt with the problem of evil, um, which, uh, you know, a young college student, I don't think I've really experienced much evil in my life. But um, yeah, I mean, I went in th through that class still f feeling like, you know, these very smart professors I have, even a priest, makes it kind of a little bit uh, dubious whether or not God exists, or we can, you know, rashly come to that, that conclusion. And then um, I met Bishop Barron. Uh, I don't know if you want, I, I'm saying too much right now. Do you want No, to no, I, I, like, I think this is great because I think it, like, it, it gives everybody kind of the sense of that. And, and, and if anybody has studied like you have, they've had the same experience. Yeah. Some of our listeners may not know what the arguments are, um, but that's okay. Like, keep going. I want well, to hear yeah, ju uh, just to pause, step. just to make sure if our listeners like, am I on the right podcast? Like, ab <laughs> absolutely. Normally, we, we approach things from a very uh, pastoral kind of point and things of that nature. But there are a lot of uh, people out there that have uh, logical roadblocks. Yeah. And yeah. that's what keeps them from from journeying into the faith. And and, and a lot of times they say I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious or I, I believe in, I'm agnostic, or, you know, but I, I don't believe in a certain religion or atheism is the only logical conclusion that I could come to. And and then we're hearing uh, Robert, Bobby share with us um, that like even at an intellectual level, right, a Catholic university, you're finding that these questions weren't adequately answered. Yeah. And uh, and then the next part of your story, please continue. Yeah, and and just to like highlight kind of what you just said, Chris, is some people we need to reach through the heart, 
or that's the first place you're going to reach them. And then you're going to dive into the, the head and the mind. Other people, you're going to start with the, heart, the head. Yeah. Um, and they, they've got their roadblocks in their head. Other people have their roadblocks in their heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to get through, like, you, you've got to be able to present both ways and reach people in multiple ways. And so this is one way, you know, to reach, you know, people that have head roadblocks, <laughs> head blocks, blockheads. Yeah. Blockheads. There you go. <laughs> Back to you, Robert. Well, yeah. I mean, just to say a little bit more about that, um, that department um, at St. Louis University, I mean, this is not, I think it's a wonderful department. I think they're trying to move in an eclectic direction. So it wasn't like in the past where they had like a lot of Catholic philosophers. We were getting, you know, philosophers um, from many different backgrounds, um, and many of them were who, you know, they had a big medieval philosophy program there. And I remember some of the the teachers, you know, it was questionable whether or not they even even believed that in 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 God. So, um, anyways, I was I kind of came out of that program a little confused, and then um, my senior year. Um, shortly before I graduated, my mom, this was during spring break. My mom was always listening to this guy in the radio. This was back in like 2009. And his name was Father Robert Barron. And uh, we lived uh, on the Southwest side. And she's like, oh, uh, you know, Father Barron's going to come to the local college and give a talk. Um, and she's like, you got to come. And I, I, to be honest, I was just like, oh, man, I'd really rather not. Um, but there was something in me that I felt, okay, I should probably go to this. And uh, I remember, I remember that talk, uh, Bishop Barron gave a talk on, I think it was St. Irenaeus. And that talk alone was, was great. I think he was a little um, surprised because I thought he, he I think he thought that uh, he was going to give a lecture to uh, the faculty, <laughs> but it turned out it was a bunch of like freshman college undergrads, which was great wow. for them, them to hear. But um, I remember the, the Q&A session um, the most. And like, I think the the atheist on the South side showed up just to try to like give it to uh, Bishop Barron. And he had all these arguments, you know, against the existence of God lined up. And I remember Bishop Barron just shooting them down. Um, and so everything that I was hoping I would hear in the classroom, Bishop Barron um, was addressing right there. So I was inspired to go up to go up to him after the talk, um, because at the time I was like, oh, should I go to law school? What should I really do with my life? Um, I'm thinking about philosophy, but my parents tell me there's no future in that for me. You know, uh, how are you going to make a living and all that stuff? And so Bishop Barron, you know, uh, we had a long talk and he he kind of guided me in the right direction. But he also asked me, hey, um, I'm working on this project right now, um, like this 10 part series uh, called Catholicism. Would you would you like to help me with that? And there's some other things that you know. I'm currently writing these articles. I need somebody to do some research. So that summer it turned out I actually I I became like his like research assistant. So that was pretty cool, and it gave me access to this you know great library at Mundelein Seminary, where I was able to delve into all these. He gave me a library card, so and they, there was no limit. So I just checked out as many books as I could. Um, and I, and a lot of them were on the, uh, existence of God. So that was quite an education. Tell, tell me a little bit more about, uh, at the time, Father Barron's interaction with the atheist mm. at that lecture. Um, was it like, you know, cause I, cause I've seen him on the Reddit, ask me anything yeah. Yeah. and, and Bishop Barron has 
has to be concise, but at the same time, he never comes across as like cold. You know, did did he deal with it to where the atheist would walk away and feel like I just lost, or was it like I feel heard? Like, what would you say was the uh, the disposition of the interaction? Well, anybody who knows Bishop Barron knows, like, you just feel comfortable with him right away. Um, so even when you're in disagreement with him, uh, you're kind of like, and there's something there. I kind of want to be, you know, like, like this guy seems to be a really good guy that I could go, even if I'm an atheist, I could go to the bar with him. I'm not sure he'd do that. Uh, sure. You know, share a good drink and conversation. Um, so, yeah, he didn't come off like hostile at all. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I have met some priests who get very defensive when somebody, you know, an atheist starts asking really good questions. And uh, this this guy, from what I remember, um, this was the time of like when the new atheism was becoming very popular. And um, what do you mean by new atheism? Yeah. So like the the four horsemen, right, of the new atheism. I'm thinking of uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, the famous um, uh, evolution a biologist is I think that's what he is an evolutionary biologist um and then you have Christopher Hitchens um my favorite I actually got to meet Christopher Hitchens once at Notre Dame and have a little bit of a course like talk, I was talking to him after his his debate with Dinesh D'Souza and actually I agree with Ross Dowd that I I think he probably would be the most likely to be uh, a, a Christian his brother is right um wow but uh, Christopher Hitchens was su- such a delight to talk to he would talk about like somebody who's hostile on stage, but then an absolute gentleman afterwards. It's okay. Then, um, so Christopher Hitchens, he wrote uh, the book, God is not great. And then, uh, the, the God delusion, um, okay. Might've been it. And then you had, um, you have a couple others, um, like, uh, the famous, um, the philosopher, Daniel Dennett, um, who I think teaches out in, at Tufts university. Um, and then you have, I forget the last guy who's, you know, still around, you know, today, uh, kind of does a lot of that transcendental meditation. I can't think of his name. He's in a like science. So what makes it new? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Um, okay. I'll, I'll steal this from Ed Fazer. Uh, Ed Fazer was asked that same question. I, and I think he said something along the lines of their evangelical fervor is what makes it new. Um, and the fact that they, they just want to convince everybody of atheism, uh, gotcha. which, okay. you know, I think the old atheists, which would include, um, you know, possibly like Feuerbach, Nietzsche, maybe Sartre, it, it wasn't something that they had so much evangelical, evangelical fervor for. But also, I would say what makes the new atheism, not what makes it new, but it's just actually really, it, it just doesn't really hold up to that old stuff. I like the old stuff much better. Um, <laughs> the old arguments were better. Is that what you're saying? I, I don't know. I just, I feel like, you know, um, even though like Nietzsche, I guess, assumes you can't even de- rationally demonstrate God exists. There's just something that he sees, like when you don't have like God, the existence of God, he he really sees what that means. And uh, mm. I, I, I think he's a little there bit. There also seems to be in the new, new atheism, a bit of a cult of personality, right? And so it's not just to, uh, to follow the, uh, to, to hear the ideas and come to your own conclusion yeah. and then leave me alone. But it's like, become my disciples uh, who follow this ideal of, 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 of there is no God. So um, said this was a book publishing opportunity. 
I heard that Richard Dawkins, his whole theory of evolution was like getting discredited more and more. And so he needed to move into something new. That's kind of a uh, like cynical view. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't put it past Christopher Hitchens just to be like, I could make a lot of money on this. Uh, sure. So anyways. <laughs> Good. Okay. So, so you've got this new atheism that's in blossom and, uh, and Bishop Barron is handling it with a, 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 a intellectual authority, but also a pastoral disposition. Yeah. And, and now you're studying this stuff day in and day out. So what does that look like for a ministry leader who all of a sudden finds a topic that they're fascinated with? Yeah. Oftentimes we've got 600 other things on our plates that we're not able to do it, but you were given a summer to dive head in and you were probably reading 600 pages a day. Is that fair to say during that that season? I don't know about 600 pages, but uh, yeah, I mean, I had, a, I had to basically do a lot at that time, Bishop Barron was doing some things on like uh, biblical hermeneutics. Um, I think a couple of his books that Word on Fire published later, actually, those articles are in there. So I'm I'm trying to recall exactly what that was about. But at, during that time, uh, I also got with that research. I was introduced to like communio thinkers, like um, Henri de Lubac, Hansers von Balthasar. Um, even though Pope Benedict uh, was the Pope at the time. I never read anything by him. Uh, and so I got to read Introduction to Christianity for the first time. And um, I remember it was Introduction to Christianity, Delubox, a Catholicism. And there's a couple essays. I don't know if I really ascribe to these guys anymore, but like Radical Orthodoxy, they had a couple essays where it's basically, it flipped the whole narrative that I had in my head, where it's actually, no, the Catholic tradition is the most intellectually robust thing that there is. Um, and these others um, are, are really just like fail in comparison. So like in terms of ministry, I just, I always wanted to go into teaching. So I knew like, oh man, I have to really bring this into, into the classroom. Uh, because most of the, like when I was growing up, like freshman year in high school, a lot of these students were already declared atheists. And right. um, I thought, well, hey, these proofs could be used in a way as like a form of purification, because most of the time, I think you guys probably encounter this in your ministry. Most of the time, people have these like preconceived, you know, ideas of what God is, you know, maybe not something as silly as what the new atheists make it out to be like this flying spaghetti monster. But they basically think of God as like one being among many um, and maybe Maybe there's some, I don't know, there, every, every, to get to like the, the robust metaphysics of Thomas Aquinas, you shouldn't expect that of them. But um, that sometimes can really lead to like very big problems in the spiritual life. Um, and I remember Bishop Barron always like kind of followed up his doctrine of God with its pastoral implications, like the non-competitive God. So this is not the God I should actually be afraid of, but as St. Irenaeus said, this is the God who, in being glorified, is actually wants me to be fully alive. That's his glorification. Which is why he's jealous for us, right? Which is why it's a God that, that desires to be the God, not a God among many. Yeah. 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 So I, th I just thought that the implications of, of really going through that almost via negativa through the proofs and then like fleshing out a robust doctrine of God had like immense pastoral uh, riches there. 
Good. So just to pause you there, I've been in youth ministry for the majority of my my career as a ministry leader. And there was a season in my ministry, especially in the first five or six years, when an atheist coming into my program would terrify me. Oh, what if they ask this and I don't know the answer and don't know the response? And the more and more I got to know teens in this modern age, I realized that in a room of 100 youth, if there's two atheists, then there's probably only three youth in the entire room that have spent time in the last month thinking about God. Mm. And that'd be one of them that's a disciple and then the two atheists. So it creates an amazing opportunity for dialogue when we have an atheist present that's going to push back and things like that because they're at least thinking about God, which is something that is rare in our modern culture, right? And even when they think about God, oftentimes with teens, at least in the last 10 years that I've been working with youth, um, I, I'd, I'd run into them and they say, I don't believe in God anymore. I say, why not? And they, they give me a couple of arguments and then I'm like, well, tell me a little bit more. And they're like, you know what? I'll do you one better. I'll send you a link. And then they send me a link to the YouTube video that told them everything that they now subscribe to. At which point I'm like, let's have a dialogue about this. And you can really kind of pick it apart, but you don't want to pick them apart while you're doing it. And there's something entwined as they're kind of figuring out what they're understanding their identity as a child of God or as a child that doesn't believe in God or whatever it is. So there is something um, that you have to be really tender and pastoral about, but don't forget that even to the rest of the room, these atheists are bringing up comments of like, yeah, I've really been thinking about God. When did the average Catholic like really think about God? You know what I mean? So these atheists are a gift and I don't want that to, to go to the side of like, we want to be ready to argue them, but, but you were ready to actually dialogue with them, which is a beautiful thing. Absolutely. They're a gift in some, in, I actually preferred some of the students who were um, claiming to be atheists because at least they weren't indifferent, right? And they were the ones who were actually the most interested in the class. So like I came into the classroom thinking, okay, I'm not going to dumb this stuff down. When my first year of teaching, uh, there was a very influential senior who was like the, the school atheist. Um, and uh, he was really convincing so many other students because they were, I think he was on the debate team and uh, he was involved in the robotics team. Uh, and so a lot of the students who were a little bit more intellectually um, uh, you know, attuned were becoming influenced by him. And uh, I thought, oh, wait a minute, this guy is really, really interested in God. Um, but you know, he's, he, he hasn't really read the great tradition um, and I think he would really benefit from that. So that was kind of like my whole approach was like, okay, I don't want to focus everything around the proofs of God, but the question needs to be posed, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I can't, uh, agree with you more that, um, actually they really serve, serve, a you know, a really good role for us. And we should take advantage of that. How did you take advantage of that as a, as a high school teacher? Um, with with that student, yeah, that student was a. There were some, I think, personal issues that I think were they were very deep, and so he was resistant to any kind of engagement, um, and so it was really hard to get him kind of out of, um, you know, being a little snide and and mocking this stuff. But uh-huh. I, I I just gave it to him. I mean, my the class that I had to teach because uh, he was a senior, so I only got like one semester with him. Uh, right. But I remember that was a class on like, uh, I think it was on uh, Christian states of life. And so I was trying to make sense for him 
I was trying to make sense of, well, why would people live this way? You know, and is there any, any logic behind it? Um, and so for, for me, I used a lot of Friedrich Nietzsche with him because I think he saw, um, I, he was sympathetic already to, to Nietzsche and was kind of like, cool, I've got this atheist, you know, colleague, which I, you know, in college, I loved Nietzsche, reading Nietzsche. Um, okay. Not, kind of more for like his diagnosis, not his prognosis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really wanted the, the student to kind of see that, you know, Nietzsche saw things and like maybe the world that we're in today which basically is like a world of practical atheism. I mean, we just basically assume God doesn't exist. And very often too, um, the idea of God that people have isn't necessarily what the church teaches. And so I just try to really guide him to like looking, you know, starting with Nietzsche, then saying, okay, wait a minute, there have been people who've engaged this before. So um, yeah, I didn't get much time with him, but the, even the freshman students were influenced by him. So they were at least asking the question, does God exist? So I, I decided when I finally got to teach a philosophy class um, that I was going to make a Phaser's book, even though that, so that's for seniors. And I thought, you know, well, Bishop Barron's telling us not to dumb it down. And maybe pedagogically, this isn't the smartest move. Um, but I thought the way he outlines the arguments, almost like, you know, deductive proofs, you know, rational demonstrations. I'm like, okay, these kids already got this. And I looked at their geometry book and I'm like, all right, they can do this. And so, and they don't have to read everything in the book, but I have this outline here and they've got all these little, he has all these little sections that he can, you can go back to. And I I decided uh, with another teacher to make this the main book of that class. But it actually came up a little bit earlier because I, I was uh, from the beginning, I had to teach a church history course and kind of like as an aside, we're going over some things in the Middle Ages. And um, I decided to bring I was going to like write out the ontological argument Anselm's ontological argument. And then I was going to write up um, the third way um, uh, Thomas Aquinas's. And that was the one time that um uh, almost half the class stayed after um, wanting more. So wow. it was mainly young. It was mainly the guys. Um, so like I had a lot of the girls where they didn't really like, I, I don't want to stereotype, but um, uh, the guys were the, the ones who were uh, proclaiming atheism much more okay. than the girls were. And yeah. uh, they just thought, all this religion stuff, you know, we all have taken these religion classes that oftentimes are very watered down. It's just nothing but kind of sentimental stuff. And so the guys, I don't know, but they just, they thought, Oh, you just rash. This is not rational, you know? And so they, they, their ideal of rationality was what they were getting in like geometry. um, What they were hearing in their physics course. Um, And so I decided that, you know what we, I need to really, uh, introduce them to these arguments more, really delve into them. It, well, it makes sense to me that the guys were the ones that, uh, that, that, that were sticking around a little bit, because I think at that phase of uh, adolescent development, yeah. the rebellion sense, right? I think you might might have found a different uh, experience if you were teaching at a public school. Of course, I don't think they'd allow you to teach that at a public school, but that's another conversation. But but they're, they're at a place where they, they desire to establish identity by rebelling from those things which built their identity, yeah. right? Which, uh, which means that 
pushing against it, which why atheism is like getting a tattoo at a Catholic school, like showing up with blue hair or something like that. You know what I mean? Like that, that saying I'm an atheist is just against the man, against the system as any other type of rebellion that you could imagine. So, so that makes sense. But, but something else you said in regards to people's understanding of God, it really made me think like sometimes when you're having these conversations, especially when you're disarming some of these atheistic or some of these, um, uh, false views or false understandings of who God is like that hasn't been given to the person, uh, just on their own, but sometimes it's their family of origin that has given it to them. And so if you're just dismantling their understanding of God, ideally so that it can be rebuilt in an ordered fashion, right? Uh, you're also maybe dismantling, um, kind of their, their family of origin to a degree, and so we have to be real tender when we when we navigate there because um, a lot of people would get defensive because it's like, well, my my grandfather said it was the spaghetti monster and my my dad said that and that's that's who we are, you know, and uh, and so you're saying grandpa's wrong um, or something like that, and and then they get defensive on on a different level like that. So I just as as ministry leaders, we need to be mindful or aware that sometimes winning winning an argument or even dismantling an argument or, or a piece, um, which is why these proofs are so nice because they start in a different area. They're not against or opposed to something. The proofs of God stand alone to talk about God in and of themselves. So I think there can be real, uh, real danger in this. Um, you sometimes see this in some forms of apologetics, like where it's like, Oh gosh, this is like, you know, like WrestleMania and, uh, people approach uh, this stuff and, and they get, it becomes very personal, like you said, and um, people are just there to body slam you. And so um, oftentimes, you know, you also have to be careful like that you're not actually just taking the light in yourself because I sometimes see people are like, Oh, wow. You know, I can really, I can, I can recite for you. I know how to win this argument. Yeah, exactly. And that just turns people off. Um, Yep. At the end of the day, I mean, I just, I just end with, I start and end with Augustine. I mean, I think he says in his little manual for catechists, it's like they need to experience the love of God, that God loved them first. So if it's, if it's devoid of all love and, you know, this is why Bishop Barron's approach, I think is really good not to idolize him, but like he, you always feel like that's kind of there, you know? So, um, but if it's not, then yeah, it's, it's a, it's a wrestling match. So before we end, because we're really close to the time, um, it, like a practical step that a ministry leader could take to incorporate some of this, um, some of these proofs, some of this head knowledge um, in their ministry, like what, what is a practical step that they could actually take? Yeah. Well, I always like to kind of lead with the liturgy. Like okay. I, I just, I, I just think like, okay, what that, if that's, that's the most important thing that we do. Right. Um, and we have to really know the God that we're giving glory to, uh, that we're praising. So I think that, um, you know, while, you know, obviously the God of the philosophers and the God of faith, um, I don't think there's any opposition there. But I think that if you present these proofs, you can, in, in a way, attune them, put them in the right mood so that it almost becomes like a, 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 a meditation in and of itself. Um, so that when they go into praising God, 
uh, and they they think about everything that we believe in in the faith that actually this doctrine of God, okay, or just knowing that God exists, first of all, is so this is not a matter of faith. Uh, but then our faith doesn't contradict anything that the philosophers could know. And so I think it just really builds a lot of confidence um, so that even when they come to say like some really hard doctrines to understand, like the, when you delve into the sacraments, like the, the Eucharist, this, this actually really helps, I think, them better understand those, those doctrines. So yeah. um, I would just say, too, uh, another thing is that most people come in. I'm, I'll just, I'm speaking from my own experience. I oftentimes have the competitive God, uh, you know, operative in my spiritual life. Um, and so, like, when these arguments in some ways dismantle that, I see that that actually no, uh, God is not competitive with me, uh, and so th- these things I think really serve a um, um, kind of like a good spiritual purpose. Yeah, and and knowing your audience is is key, you know. So like, if I mean, if you're a DRE talking with sixth graders um, or a youth minister talking to twelfth graders, yeah. If if you don't know like like how they see God or even if they believe in God, yeah, yeah. then what you're, what you're talking to them about or what you're sharing with them may not matter, yeah. you know? Um, because if God doesn't exist, I don't care if he loves me because he doesn't exist, yeah. you know? And so there's nothing there's that that's not going to affect me at all. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I, and I don't know how you get a sense of that without necessarily outing people or whatever is, like having a questionnaire before the, like anything begins, you know, how sure are you of God's existence? You know, a hundred percent, like 2%, I don't know. Um, but then, and then diving into, then, you know, okay, okay. Like half of my audience don't, don't believe in God. I need to start with that. I need to start with, you know, the proofs for God existence. Um, and, and then, then this is where I would start, you know, anyway. Yeah. So. Good. Well, Robert, we are at time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if people want to find more about uh, the work that you do or uh, kind of hear more about some of your some of your ideas and your approaches, where might they they do that? Where's the best place to send them? Yeah, well, um, the Word on Fire Institute, uh, first of all. Um, and then secondly, every now and then I publish like an article on Word on Fire. Um, so those are the two places. But the Institute, we're going we're to be developing kind of an education module, which will be helping people to better um, specifically teachers um, and also parents because they're the primary teachers to know the tradition um, so as to be better formators themselves. Um, so yeah, I encourage you to check out the Word on Fire Institute. Good. I also want to encourage you guys to go check out robertmixa.com. Um, for those of you who are like, your brain has melted right now because there was a lot of intellectual meat and potatoes to this. Mm-hmm. He also combines that in some really fun ways. He has a blog post titled The Little Lebowski, where he kind of uh, takes takes some of the different elements of the film and some of the different elements of nihilism and and and, and even talks about pregnancy and, and all, all the different pieces that were in that film. Anyways, that, that was a really fun read as I was kind of poking around on your website or whatever, because I... Uh, that's one of my guilty pleasures is that movie Big Lebowski. So oh um, and you guys can check him out. And since everybody's listening, spell that, Chris. Uh, that Chris, uh, Robert. So it would be B-O-B. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Robert 
Mixa, M-I-X-A. So all one word, robertmixa.com. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. You guys, uh, just a couple of quick takeaways. First of all, remember that all that we do, it, we need to be pastoral in regards to it because we have to love people first. The other piece is atheists are a gift because they're people that are actually thinking about God. And then finally, before we can tell some people about who God is, we must remember to tell people that God is. And some of these proofs are a great way to do that. So thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you, Robert, for joining us. And let's continue the conversation online. Please send any feedback you guys have to MLA at ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time to pray this week for other ministry leaders and to pause the podcast and look up one of the names that you might not have understood or known in regards to the atheists or the philosophers or the proofs of God that were shared today. And let's grow together in that way. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless you.